Oh, praise God. It's a joy to be with you and uh, always a joy to spend time with your pastors, Matt and Rachel, and to reconnect with Wayne and Margaret and uh, just, just see what God's doing in the house. And God's doing here, isn't he? Amen. You can, you can really sense it. You know, I'm so excited um, of the sound of God breaking out across the country and in the campuses. A number of things excite me. God's just using the young people that don't know better and are not professional and won't market, won't make t-shirts, won't turn to famous preachers. They're just a bunch of young people that want God. And I think our nations are about ready for a bunch of young people. It's like, like what happened back in your day and just God looks for the unlikely. They don't want to own anything. They just want to be in what God's doing. But you know what really thrills my heart? Because I was so tempted. I said, God, if you want me to go there, I've got a busy week next week. But any, anywhere where God's doing something, I wouldn't mind being around. And I said, all right, you're going to have to give me a dream if you want me to go. Because I've got a busy week and I've got to get my wife's permission. And there's a whole lot of logistical things. And then I was just reminded, just reminded, same Holy Spirit that's breaking out there is the one that lives here. It's not a different spirit. We don't have different moves of the spirit one spirit and and we can wherever we are for me that's a hotel room for you that's your home we can know the same spirit that's moving so powerfully in Ashby moving in our lives isn't that wonderful and I think our prayer is just simply come by our Lord just what you're doing there do it here as well amen the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you the spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that fell in Pentecost, that changed nations through a few young people called disciples, lives in you and me. Are you spirit-filled tonight? Would you give me a wave? Oh, I just want to check. I just want to check. Do we comprehend the power of that? God's spirit. Oh, we love to speak about Jesus and how the spirit became incarnate in Christ. Do we know that he's become incarnate in us? That the temples and the tabernacles of the Old Testament are, are gone. That Jesus Christ walked the earth 2,000 years ago. He was the temple of God. He was the gateway between heaven and earth. His agenda and his plan was always that a temple would be a people made up of living stones in which he dwelt. You know, when I'm looking at what God's doing around America, I'm stirred with excitement. You know, I've grown up, I've lost the critic, I've lost the skeptic. Whenever I sense God is moving, I'm just, yes, yes, do it quickly, Lord, do it quickly, Lord. But also, I'm, do it here, Lord. And I just sensed, as we were just worshipping there, just that manifest presence of God. Just with those who have gathered tonight. God's here. He's here. But he's here. Often what happens in revival is, God doesn't change. God doesn't arrive. People become conscious of him. God never arrived last Sunday at that college. He's omnipresent. He was already in the saints. But suddenly some of the saints began to say, he's here. Man, we can do that anywhere. And when we begin to set our gaze on the one who's present, man, anything can happen. Man, I'm excited to be with you tonight. I'm really excited about the word God's given me tomorrow morning. So if you were going to take the morning off, none of that nonsense. None of that nonsense, young man. You get yourself here. Because God's really put, uh, entrusted me with a message, a word that I'm going to be bringing to you tomorrow. So come hungry. And you know, tonight I just wanted to talk about simple things that we're in a moment where people are encountering Christ. And, you know, in my opinion, it's as simple as that. <clears throat> All a person needs is an encounter with Jesus Christ. If you don't have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you don't quite get saved like you were meant to. If, if you're introduced to the concept of Christ, it just doesn't work like it's meant to. 
But when somebody that doesn't know Jesus meets Jesus, encounters Jesus, it's not polite, it's not religious, <clears throat> but it's real. My life was transformed. I was out of control. My life was transformed, not because I met a religion, an ideology, but I met Jesus. I never physically saw him, but I met him. And he changed my life and he continues to change my life. All the world needs is Jesus. Now people would disagree, they'd say, <clears throat> oh no, I need this, I need that. <clears throat> what I need is this, what I need is that. No, no, what you need is Jesus. Everything you need, you can find in an encounter with him. Read the Gospels. Every need in the Gospels was met when people encountered him. Now, unsaved people need to encounter Jesus so that they can become saved people. <laughs> but Christians, we need to be encountering him again and again in a fresh way. Not living in a former experience, but having a heart that's in pursuit of him. Not that we haven't got him, but just to get him more or discover fully the one that we've got. You know, Christianity is a strange old thing when you hold it <clears throat> against other religions and cults and beliefs. Because every other religion, cult and belief, they strive, they strive for an end product. One day, end product. Yet Christianity, the moment a person believes, that moment, they receive everything they're ever going to get from God. And then they spend the rest of their life working out what they got. But you know, the sad thing is some Christians don't. They have an initial encounter and they just settle for what they got in that initial encounter. They testify about what they got in that initial encounter. That may have been a good one. But I really believe in this moment where we sense the spirit moving in a new way. It's all about encounter. It's nothing new. It's all about people awakening again. I, I need Jesus. Christians saying, I, I need a fresh touch of Jesus. It's sad when you speak to many Christians and they've believed the gospel of behavior modification that always leaves them incomplete. When there's a gospel of Jesus Christ, it gives you everything you need. I really sense God's bringing us all into encounter again with Jesus. Because everything we need, everything you need tonight is in that encounter. The wisdom that you need for the decision ahead of you is in that encounter. The miracle you need for your body if your body's hurting or sick is in that encounter. Freedom for your mind, liberty from torment. Read the Gospels. All they ever did was encounter Him. And every need that they could possibly have was met in encountering him. We need to put value again <clears throat> on encountering Jesus and our own personal pursuit. Because, hey, I'm a pastor and I'm real good at standing at the front, speaking to hundreds of people saying, you've got to pursue him. You've got to encounter him. I was talking to Pastor Matt this morning. I said, but if we're going to be non-hypocritical, we've got to look in the bathroom mirror Say, no, you first. You be in pursuit of him. What do we need in this moment that we're living in? It's not more theology. It's not more um, understanding things that are not God. It's Jesus. It's encountering him. Now, most of us in this room have had an encounter with Jesus. Right? Give me a wave if you've had an encounter with Jesus. <clears throat> That's beautiful. That's wonderful. If you haven't, you can tonight. He's here. But for those who have, I really sense what God wants to say to you and to me tonight is don't live on stale bread. Don't live on stale bread. God wants you to have fresh bread. You know, a lot of Christians, 
They live on stale bread. Paul refused in Philippians 3, <coughs> excuse me, verse 13. <coughs> Paul said, forgetting what lays behind. Now, there wasn't just junk behind Paul. <coughs> there was a lot of good stuff as well. But Paul said, forgetting what lays behind, I reach forward for what God is doing now. What God is doing in me and wanting to do through me now. And when I hear these words, it's like I hear Paul saying, I don't eat stale bread. <coughs> fresh bread. Fresh bread. Fresh bread. How many people like fresh bread? What's that little shop you got? Panera, is it? If you went in there and they gave you a crusty, <coughs> three-week-old loaf, with dust on it, would you say thank you very much? Would you even bother putting butter or moisture on it? Now, when we go for fresh bread, we want it to bounce. We want it to be tender. We want it to be just out the oven. But you know, Christians suffer from loving stale bread. They had fresh bread with Jesus once. They encountered him. <clears throat> they had a fresh experience with him. Oh, it changed their life. Everything changed. They walked down the road and even the weeds looked like flowers. Everything was beautiful. They couldn't not forgive anyone. They just wanted to sing all day. It's fresh. Fresh. You slap them around the face and they'd go, there's the other cheek. Fresh. Just wanted to give everything. Then sometimes it's happened to us all. We don't replace the fresh bread. And we let that which was fresh get dusty and stale. I mean, if I had a loaf of bread here that was like a year old, no one would want it. I'd throw it on the floor and it'll bounce. You could chuck it in the lake and kill a goose, you know. <clears throat> it's no good to anyone. Listen, tonight God wants you to know he wants you to have fresh bread. He wants you to have fresh encounters. He wants you to have fresh moments with Jesus. Because you know the strange thing is, one of the things that Jesus said of himself was that he was bread. Come on, if we're speaking about fresh bread and we're <clears throat> speaking about encountering Jesus, we need to remember that one of the things that Jesus said about himself was, I'm bread. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. I'm the bread that doesn't satisfy for a moment, but satisfies not just for a lifetime, but eternity. But sometimes we let that bread get stale. And God wants us to have fresh bread tonight. If you've got your Bibles, just turn to John <clears throat> chapter 6. And I want to look at this moment when Jesus calls himself bread. Because there's other moments where he says he's the door. There's other moments when he says he's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. But he's this, he's that, he's the vine. But here in John 6, Jesus says... Let's talk bread. Because bread's something we all have in common. God wants us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. And he's not speaking about physical provision alone. but Rather, the bread that comes from him. <clears throat> now it says here in, in verse 30, because Jesus had been doing some miracles and uh, he'd done some miracles and stuff like that and people were impressed then in verse 30, it says, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? And then they start to say, our ancestors ate bread or the manna in their wilderness time. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, <clears throat> very truly, I tell you. It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry 
and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then you skip down to verse 48 and he continues this thought. He says, I am the bread of life. If anyone was confused, Jesus says, it's me, it's me. Manna was a type and a shadow. When we speak about bread coming down from heaven, it's me, it's me, it's the person, it's me. He didn't want anyone confused. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they still died. <clears throat> but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, I love this because there's an argument going on concerning Moses and bread that came down from heaven called manna. We all know about manna, Exodus 16. God supplied for a people even in their disobedience. In their disobedience, they didn't enter into the promised land bar a couple of people. The majority had to walk around in a wilderness for 40 years until the disobedient were no more. Yet God still provided for those who were wandering in disobedience, bread to eat every day, meat to eat every day, shoes on their feet, water to drink. Doesn't that display the goodness of a God? But in their disobedience, he still took care of them. <clears throat> but in that bread that came down from heaven, that manna, that was a type and a shadow of Jesus, we learn a couple of lessons, don't we? But Jesus, but God said to the children of Israel, I'm going to, I've heard you moaning, I'm going to give you bread, I'm going to give you manna every day. But there's some rules. I'm going to give you bread every day. Fresh bread. Fresh manna. Bread from heaven. Every day without fail. But you've got to walk in dependency on me for daily provision. Okay. What does that look like? All right. Apart from one day, I want you to go out and I want you to gather manna in a jar that's adequate for your family's needs. If you've got a lot of kids, take a lot of manna. If you've got no kids, take some for you and your wife. But he said, listen, I want you to understand you're not to store manna. <clears throat> you're not to store this bread that comes down from heaven. And if you do, apart from the day where there's a day of rest, there's one caveat. If you try and store this bread, it will go rotten in the jar. It will go rotten in the jar. It will go from delicious to rotten in the jar. The problem wasn't the bread, it was you. And so the children of Israel are listening. Okay, God's going to give us bread from heaven. <clears throat> We're not to store it up. We're to get it every day. What did they do? The same as what some of us would have done. We would have thought, but what about next Wednesday? What about next week? If I eat a little, store a little, I'll have enough for when the winter comes. You know, their reasoning kicked in. So some of them went and got the manna and didn't take enough for the day. They took enough for tomorrow and the next day, maybe a week later. There must have been, there's always greedy people in the midst. There must have been people backing trucks in. Just in case there's a manna famine. <clears throat> Just in case. But the next day when they went and looked at what they'd stored, it was full of maggots. It was rotten. It wasn't fresh anymore. It was because God's plan was to have a daily experience of fresh bread. All right, let's now step into Jesus saying, all right, you're talking about your fathers who experienced manna. Moses didn't give them the manna. My dad did. Here's another key point. That is so last season. That manna stuff. I am now the bread of heaven that has come down from heaven and I give life, life eternal. But you see, I think what we seem to forget sometimes is we need to be encountering fresh bread daily. 
not settling on bread that we experienced 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a year ago, six months ago, but really provoking our hearts. I'm not going to live on stale bread. I'm not going to live on, remember, stale bread was once fresh. The problem's not the bread, it's you. The problem's not the bread, it's me. Because anything that stale bread was once fresh bread, but instead of eating the fresh bread and then getting some more fresh bread, we stored fresh bread until it became stale, and now we've got stale bread in the cupboard of our life. When God doesn't want us to have stale bread, he wants us to have fresh bread. But we can't get fresh bread unless we have a hunger for fresh encounter. Thank you for yesterday, Jesus. Thank you for last month. Thank you. You've faithfully given me fresh bread every day that I've walked with you. Today, God. Fresh bread. Now, encounters with Jesus change lives. They really do. When you're eating fresh bread, it causes a reaction in your life. Another verse I wrote down here, a well-known verse from Proverbs 34, verse 8, when it says, come on, taste and see. Lord's good. That's our invitation to the unsaved. But sometimes that's our invitation now to people that should know better. Oh, it's all going wrong, Pastor. It's all terrible. Everything. Oh, come on. Taste and see again. You just need an encounter with Jesus. No, I need this and I need that. No, you really don't. You just need a fresh delivery of bread. You just need a fresh encounter with the one called Jesus. Now, we've been reading from John 6, but if you go to John 7, you have the liquid version of this principle where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And he says to her, you've been trying to get water from cisterns that are broken. Jeremiah. And he said, do you want to drink some water that will cause you to never thirst again? What's he saying, John 6? <clears throat> you want some fresh bread that will be the best bread you've ever had that will fulfill you, satisfy you. Now he's saying, do you want living water that will take away every other thirst in your life? Drink of me. But then he says, drink of me and it will become in you a river. So there's an initial experience that should become a lifestyle. He didn't say drink of me and then you're going to be thirsty again in two weeks. He said, take a good drink of me, hon. Take a good drink. And that drink, that taste, will become an outflow from your inner person. Whether it's water, whether it's bread, the principle's the same. Encounters with Jesus change people's lives. What do we do when we gather as the church? Because we're the church when we're in the building and we're the church when we're outside of the building. But when we gather, what do we do? We create atmospheres, right? Where people can encounter Jesus. Some places don't. They create atmospheres where people can encounter religion. Religion won't change you. Religion's tried its best on me, just left me bored. But I remember being in certain meetings. I can't remember what they were worshipping. Must have been some people praying. But that meeting was put on so that I would step in and encounter Jesus. Encounters change people. Again, you've only got to read through the Gospels. It's like a catalogue of people changed when they encountered him. What about Zacchaeus? I'm just going to grab a couple of case studies. What about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is a bit of a crook. He's been ripping everybody off, didn't know different. He'd sinned religion, he'd done business with religion. He said, they're as bent as everybody else. But all of a sudden, he heard about Jesus. He heard about this person, Jesus. And intrigue, faith lifted in him. He said, I've got to meet this man. I've got to encounter Jesus. 
to see if he's as good as what they say. You know, have you ever, ever gone to someone's house for their special pie because everyone talked about it and you're like, yeah, I'm believing you, but I've just got to taste it for myself. Then I'll let you know. That was Zacchaeus. And he said, Jesus is coming. And we know he was a short guy. Imagine that. You're recorded in Bible for all time as a short guy. That'll humble you. So we got this peanut of a guy, this short guy. Here's Jesus is coming through the town. And he wants to encounter Jesus, so he climbs the tree. And he's up in a tree, leaning over, and he doesn't think Jesus is aware of him. He just wants to encounter Jesus. He knows his life isn't right. He knows he's not living correctly. He knows he's treated people wrong. But he didn't know the cure. But he wanted to encounter Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's up a tree, and Jesus walks past, stops, and looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today to eat. Ah, you know, the Pharisees got offended. They always did, didn't they? Don't he know who he is? Don't he know who he is? The disciples, all they ever did was marvel. They ever marvelettes. They probably just marveled. He just told that guy he's coming to his house. But Jesus goes to the house, and there's no mention of him preaching. I just see Jesus sitting there eating a chicken drumstick. <clears throat> a falafel in the other hand because they're in Israel. Falafel, chicken drumstick. Chicken drumstick, falafel. And he's just sitting there eating it. This is what I picture this. And all of a sudden Zacchaeus jumps up as Jesus is eating his falafel and his chicken Zacchaeus jumps up and says, that's it. I'm going to change the way I'm going to live forever. I'm going to give back what I've stolen from people. Those who I've ripped off, I'm not going to give them back the same. I'm going to give them back more. No more ripping people. Jesus, falafel. Chicken stick. Chicken leg, falafel. And he's sitting there watching Zacchaeus experience a transformational life change and the Holy Spirit isn't even in him. That hadn't happened yet. He was just encountering Jesus. He was watching Jesus eat a chicken drumstick and smile at him. And he said, you're who I've been looking for. What about Nicodemus? He was a crafty one. Bit of a Pharisee, bit of a Sadducee, top of his ranking. Heard Jesus from afar. Said there's something about that guy. He speaks truth with authority and love at the same time. He ain't like no rabbi I've ever seen. So it's night time. He said, I just got to encounter Jesus. I just, oh, I can't hear that he's moved on. No, I've got, so he goes and knocks the door. <clears throat> Jesus, back door. Jesus. Jesus opens it. Hey, Nicodemus. He says, listen, I, you're teaching, all right? I've just got a couple of questions. And, and, and Jesus is smiling at him. He starts asking him questions. And you know, in John 3, he ends up, Jesus saying, aren't you the teacher? You do not know these things. Not mocking him. Just playing with him. He's playing with him. And he begins to say, Nicodemus, you see, my friend, you are so last season. It was a good season, but it's over. Now you've got to be born again. Unless a person is born again, can't experience the kingdom. And Nicodemus, he's like, how do I go back into my mum's womb? If you can convince me, you won't convince her. I'm like 180 pounds now. She ain't going to have that. Jesus smiling, no Nicodemus. No, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You've got to be born again. That moment, Nicodemus' life was changed. But listen, his theology was corrected. Because we all live with wrong theology. Every one of us are deceived about something. We're all works in progress, right? 
And sometimes we package God to be like this. Sometimes he's not like that. I know that people package God to me to be this angry old man that was just waiting for me to make one mistake so he could discipline me. That's not God. We've all got elements of wrong theology. Oh yeah, I believe in righteousness by faith, justification by faith, sola fide. But I've just got to do this so he likes me. You don't believe in justification by faith then. You believe that works produces his favor. When you encounter him, all your stinking thinking, your wrong theology starts to line up correctly. And you're left in wonder of the one called Rabbi. What about a woman at the well? We've spoken about her. She was a woman at the well who was a Samaritan. <laughs> According to the law and stuff and culture, she was out of the game three times. She was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans had disagreements that they didn't walk together over where God was worshipped and other stuff. She was a woman, again. But also, she had a crazy lifestyle that Jesus was fully aware of and wasn't surprised when he found out. That's my Jesus. He walks across every man-made boundary. Oh, Jesus won't go near that. He'll go near everyone. Oh, Jesus won't. Yes, he will. He came to die for everyone. The ones you think deserve it and the ones you think don't. <clears throat> and they're having this conversation. Give me some water. Now, the reason that she's there at 12 o'clock is because normally people drove, draw water from the well in the morning, but the other women didn't want her around because some of those five husbands and the ones she was currently with were probably related, if not married to some of them. She'd been exiled out of the community. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. Yet Jesus couldn't wait to spend time with her. And this conversation takes place that we have glimpses of. But it must have been pretty good because when he finished, she ran down to the town and told everyone in the town that she'd found the Messiah and brought them all from the town back up to the well to meet him. I think her life was impacted. Yeah, I don't see him preaching altar all over I see him just being with her oh we just need fresh encounters we just need fresh bread we need to be thankful for the bread we've eaten but not be dusting off stale bread when Jesus is saying I'm fresh every morning like the manna that God provided now there's some enemies to encounter there's a few, but I'm going to name three and they all start with P because all good preachers have little things that have all got the same letters at the beginning. And I thought I'm going to be a good preacher. So I picked the letter P. These are three things that can cause a Christian that once had fresh bread to settle for stale bread when God's saying, I've got more for you than that. All right. First P is pride. God will never dance with pride. Remember what it says in 1 Peter, it says, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, don't let pride rule in your life in any way or means. Now, don't go to the extent of false humility, that's disgusting. Find true humility, there's absence of pride, because then you'll live a life seeing God lift you up. It's so easy to let pride, isn't it? Pride's one of those things. There's certain components to life like air that cause fresh bread to go stale. Pride will cause fresh bread to grow. The moment you start allowing pride, look at who I am. Don't you know what I am? Did you hear my testimony? Do you, the moment you let pride into your walk with God, things will get stale real quick. Pride ain't your friend. It ain't no one's friend. When it comes to walking with Jesus, don't dance with pride. Don't even sit in the same room as it. Because God will always resist the proud. 
but it'll always give grace to the humble. The second P, if you're naming the P's in your notes, is the P called procrastination. Yeah, tomorrow, I give my life tomorrow. I thought about it today. No way. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, next week, brother Andy. Yeah, 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 now I hear you. You're right. Bang on, Andy, you're nailing it. Just a bit busy at the moment. He's got some relationships I don't want to end at the moment, all right? So I hear you. Good word. Good word. Tomorrow. Next month. Next year. I can remember my wife used to sing that. She was a gospel singer and she used to always sing that song. Tomorrow. I give my life tomorrow. I thought about it today. There isn't no tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to pursue God. Today, today is the day to get untangled from things. Today is the day to get rid of things that you know God doesn't like in your life. Today is the day to stop committing adultery with the enemy of God. Coming to his presence with the enemy's aftershave on you. Because you've been dancing with the one he hates. Today is a day to realise you're not becoming holy, you are holy. When the Bible says be holy because I'm holy, he's not saying become it, he's saying be it. Be true to who you are. The Holy One lives in you. You can't be more holy than when the Holy One is living in you. You were a sinner, now you're a saint. There was an old you, there's a new you. Holiness is who you are. It's going to become more holy. That's like a bold man shaving his head. You can't become what you are. You can express what you are fully. Holy ones come to live in us. Come to live in us. The final P. Oh, this one annoys me. Pride annoys me, especially when it's in my life. Procrastination, yeah, I keep on on that bad boy. This one is the enemy of a modern church. Passivity. Passivity is a spirit. And it's a spirit that needs to be broken off of the church. You see, procrastination says tomorrow. Passivity says I can't be bothered. Now you're pretty good because you're all here tonight. Let's roast the ones who aren't. Because sometimes as preachers, it's amazing how you tell the good people off. And they're the ones who are here. There's some people that can't be here tonight because they've got commitments to family and work. But there's some people that aren't here tonight knowing that God wants to do something, but they just can't be bothered. They're being sat on by a spirit of passivity. We need to make sure that passivity is not our friend. Because passivity doesn't delay you, it stops you. It stops you. It stops you. Do you know one of the words that's used for passivity in uh, the Bible is slothfulness. Have you ever seen a sloth? Do you call them a sloth or a sloth? What do you call them? Sloth. They're ridiculous, aren't they? If you watch a documentary on a sloth, it's like sickingly hilarious. But they sit on a branch and they, they think to themselves, I need to scratch my face. They've got these big old claws and they're just like, I just can't do it. They take ages to climb up a tree, down a tree, across the road, eat food. They fall asleep in the food before they eat it. Do you know what it says in Proverbs? Remember, we're talking about bread. It says in Proverbs 24, slothfulness casts a person into deep slumber and it will cause them to suffer hunger. All right, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about eating bread. When you eat bread, it takes away your hunger. Slothfulness will cause a person to suffer hunger. 
because they won't do what they need to do to get the bread from the cupboard into their face. I think that carries over for a lot of the modern church. I'm sorry, I work across the world. And I see an army of people that don't realize they're an army. I see a holy people that don't realize they're holy. I see saints that still think they're sinners. I see faithful 10% serving in church to see the kingdom of come. But then I see churches filled with complacent consumers that don't come to serve, they come to be served. And it's a spirit of passivity that if we can break a spirit of passivity off of the church, an army will get up. Suddenly bones will become a force to be reckoned with. We'll have so many people in serving in church, we'll have to plant churches to get rid of them. It'll be like Moses at offering time. We'll be going, stop it, stop it. You've brought too much. I always get jealous when I read that offering that Moses took. His ushers came to him and he said, listen, the temple's got some needs. Do what you menu. And all of a sudden the hosting team are coming to him. You've got to stop them. They're crazy. We got too much. And Moses, I mean, this is, yeah, Lord, let this happen to me once in my lifetime. Moses had to stand in front of a church and go, now stop it. Stop bringing wealth, resources, stop it. Some of you are stop serving, stop it, stop, stop loving and blessing and resourcing the temple. I'm like, God was living a dream. But you see, the people weren't passive. I get so jealous of Nehemiah building a wall in 52 days. It makes me like, ah. 52 days to rebuild a wall, hang the gates, 52 days. All right, he had a fly called Samballot, but he dealt with him. I love that when you read about that. It says, and Samballot was at the bottom of a ladder. I say this a lot to leaders. I say, listen, if you're going to build something for God, be ready to tell Samballot to clear off. You ain't got time for him. You're about a good work. Give that advice to a lot of pastors. I say, if it's a genuine need, come down the ladder. But if it's Sam Ballot, just tell him to clear off. You're about a good work. Oh, that's so satisfying when you say that to Sam Ballot and to his friends. Oh, you want me to come down? I'm not coming down. It's nonsense. I'm about a good work. Love that. Of course, you can't smile when you're doing it. You've got to pretend you're not. Smile on the inside. 52 days. But the difference between me and Nehemiah was all of the people were with him in what God had told him to do. Again, no passivity on the people equals 52 days. Passivity on the people, 52 years. Holy Spirit, break the spirit of passivity and start with us. If there's any passivity holding us back, causing us to say, I can't be bothered. It ain't time for passivity. It's time for a move of God's spirit. It's a time where God isn't going to, he is moving again on the earth. And he's looking for an army that's ready to be used. Don't matter if you're a woman who was a Samaritan at a well. Don't matter if you're a little guy that was hiding up a tree. It don't matter if you were a religious person that didn't understand what you were meant to believe. God is looking for every type of person from every tribe, every tongue, every generation. And he's saying, I am going to move on the earth right now. Do you know this move of God right now? These watches are funny. It's my daughter saying, how are you, dad? Busy now, lives. Ring you later. God is moving on the earth. God is moving on the earth. But a lot of the church, you know, Keith Green put it so well. How many people remember Keith Green? He put it so well when he sang that song, Asleep in the Light. Asleep in the Light. Let's not be asleep in the light. Let's be that Isaiah awake people. Amen. All right. Let's bring us in for a landing. Then I'm going to get Michael to play and we're just going to ask Jesus just to touch us afresh tonight. Is that okay? Come on, Michael. He's awesome, Michael, isn't he? Isn't he?
Well, I think you are. It's awesome. God's blessed you. We have a wonderful worship team. And a wonderful worship leader. Always love what God's given you. Believe me, I've been to some churches. There's some bad ones. Some of them I wanted to get up and say, sit down, let me do this. I might have to sing like Elvis, but we're going to get somewhere if I do. So just, just sit down. All right. What if Zacchaeus couldn't be bothered to climb the tree? What if Zacchaeus couldn't be bothered to climb the tree? What if the woman with the issue of blood couldn't be bothered to push through a crowd and touch the hem of a garment? Man, you could write pages and pages of what ifs. What if a centurion said to his servant, sorry about your kid, I'm busy. I haven't got time to go and find this Jesus for you. You see, in all of these scenarios, Christ was Christ. Saviour, healer, liberator. But you see somebody getting up and by faith, taking hold of him in a new way. I don't believe that's just representative of our salvation experience. I want to be getting up every morning saying, God, you're so right, a bit of fresh bread. It's much better than that stale stuff. I don't want to be walking around my church with dry breadcrumbs around my face. I want to have fresh yeast in my teeth. It's kind of a disgusting image, but... wants to do fresh things in your lives guys he wants to break thought processes he wants to take your places you've never been before and it's his presence how strong is his presence think of a demoniac on the shores of Gadarenes just think about that man right somehow they bundled him into a bag he was out of control he had a legion of devils in him tormented somehow he didn't he wasn't born there somehow some men probably about 20 wrestled him into a bag put him in a ship and threw him there to get him away because he wasn't good to look at this man was running around this region tormented tormented living in tombs naked hurting himself cutting himself no one cared because they didn't have to see him every day Jesus was on a hilltop over here. The father showed him that man. And he said, all right. We're done with the crowds for today, boys. We're on a mission. And then we get into the whole story of the storm and there's so many lessons that they really shouldn't have freaked out because he'd stood on the shore and said, we're going to the other side. They just placed more faith in the storm than in the one that spoken. We do that. You see, the moment Jesus stood on the shore and said, we're going to the other side, it really didn't matter what happened when the storm came. Now, they had authority over the storm and over theology of that. But Jesus rebuked them because they didn't listen to what he'd said. We're going to the other side. Whether that's a miracle you need, whether that's something else, there's another side. But it's that moment when that demoniac is on the shore. And again, like with Zacchaeus, Jesus never said anything. The moment his presence touched the ground, the devils within that man began to plead, plead put us into the pigs, don't send us where you, don't put us into the pig. He hadn't even spoken. And he was just looking at this man with love. And every devil behind that man's eyes was cowering. What do you want me to do? 
put us into the pigs. <laughs> Got it. They left the man, went into the pigs. The pigs went over the hill. A bank, you know, a, a farmer got angry and deviled pork, was, a deviled ham was made. You know, it all happened in that moment, you know. But the man was free and he said, dress him. I want to follow you. No, no, just go tell people what happens when you meet Jesus. It's presence. You Jesus, we've tasted that you're good, but maybe we haven't tasted recently. Maybe we're remembering the taste of a few weeks, months, years. Jesus, be fresh today. Be fresh today. Jesus, give us a fresh encounter with you today. Jesus, give us a fresh encounter with you today. Meet us in the storm, Jesus. Can I just boast in God? Would that be all right? Then we'll pray. I've been coming here over a number of years. Four, five now? Five? The first year I came here, <clears throat> maybe I didn't tell you. My middle daughter, Gabby, was tormented with OCD to the degree that I didn't even recognize her. She wouldn't swallow because OCD and allergies found each other and began to torment her. And me and my wife watched our middle child, Gabby, fall to bits before our eyes. Yet God gave us a promise. It's not going to end like this. It's a call of worship on our life. We went to the degree that she would sit in a chair. She wouldn't swallow. We had to force feed her. We took her to psychiatric help and they sat me in the office and they said we're gonna have to institutionalize her Mr. Elms I said you can't that's not God's plan they said we don't want to because when we do it will go to a different level I said you can't have my daughter you can't have my daughter there's a call on her life you can't have my daughter God they can't have my daughter they can't have any of my children and I looked at her and she was tormented. That was about four or five years ago. I remember I got on my knees and I said, well, there's nothing in this life that can help me. <laughs> I said to the doctor, is that it? He said, that's it. I said, well, you're no help for what I need. How bad did it get? We didn't know if we would find her alive every morning when we woke her up. That's how bad it got. How bad did it get? My wife walking into a bedroom one day crying, saying, I don't know if she'll be alive and I'm okay if she's not because of the pain that we'd watched a child's life. God was in the background the whole time. Trust me. Trust me. And we began to pray and fast and I found the keys of the kingdom. And when we began to pray with the keys of the kingdom, things began like a roulette table to go the other way. God completely healed her of OCD. Completely healed her. So suddenly, she's not sitting in a chair dribbling in a bag anymore. She said, I want to go to the Ramp School of Worship and be a worship leader. Weren't you the girl sitting in the chair that couldn't wash herself? I ain't going to stop you. Go over to Miss Karen. You'll have a great time. Miss Karen's a friend of mine. And she went, but she still had a severe sesame allergy. I've got a bit of paper at home, if you don't believe me. It says, if she's near sesame, she is more than likely to die. So she didn't eat sesame, she didn't eat bread, or anything like that. Whenever we, as a family, she sat over there for five years. She was in a meeting about three months ago, four months ago, <coughs> And they were doing communion. She's now free of OCD, no more torment. And in the middle of communion, Jesus says to her, you can eat the bread if you want. Your choice. So she had an encounter with Jesus. She reached out and she took the bread and she ate it. The first bread she'd eaten in years. She fell to the floor and the presence of Jesus Christ was so strong. She said it was overwhelming. She couldn't stand she went to bed and he was still in the room. 
She woke up in the morning and she still felt God. This is about, I don't know, this was November. Not long ago. Then we get a phone call. She said, are you there, mum and dad? I said, yeah, okay, what have you been up to, Gabs? Enjoying worship? Yeah, loving it, dad. The Lord told me this morning I'm healed. So I got one of the leaders of the ramp to come to the bakery shop with me. I sat down and ordered an everything bagel, every single bit of it, and there's no reactions in my body. You'll go to the other side. Might be a bit of a long journey. You'll go to the other side. And then I'm driving to preaching Kingston, New York on Wednesday, right? I'm driving. And suddenly one of my friends at the ramp sent me this video because they're in 500 hours of prayer or whatever it is. They're, they're loving every minute. And I can show you it as on my video. My daughter, the one who was in the chair with OCD and allergies, Wednesday, this is, is on the stage. I was tormented. My mum would not relent. My dad would not relent. My friends would not relent. I am delivered, no more torment, no more allergies. I've met the real Jesus and I am free. I was there when it happened. He's real, he's real, he's real. Jesus is real, he's not a rumor, Jesus is real. He still sets little girls free from things that are tormenting them. He still heals the sick. He still opens blind eyes. He still raises the dead physically and spiritually. He still does miracles. He's still the way maker. He's still the miracle maker. He's still the promise keeper. Get hungry. Get hungry. Blessed of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He is righteousness. It's a person. It's a person. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Well, what about those who don't hunger? I don't know. The Bible don't talk about them. He don't talk about those who were too passive, procrastinating, prideful. He says those who are hungry and do something about their hunger will be satisfied by the bread of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. Come on, just stand with me over this building right now. Stand with me over this building. Listen, we're going to carry on tomorrow morning. I haven't got a different subject. I'm just going to look at it a different way. All across this room, just begin to worship Him. Just begin to worship Him. Not the concept, the person. Not the one you heard about, the one who's here. Come on, hands lifted, hearts released. Jesus, we want you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. We don't want man-made imitations. We don't want the stories of others. We want you. We want you, Jesus. Come on, just lead us in that song and we're going to pray. Oh, there.